Your weekend begins in Crystal Palette's wine country with sommelier Crystal Cameron Shad. Every week, Crystal takes your palate on a journey from the vineyard to the glass and opens your mind to the endless choices that await your next sip. Uncork your passion starting now on your trip through wine country on Seaville 1075 and 1260 WCHV. on the road this week in Richmond and we are talking about the contributions and legacy of Dr. Daniel Norton and America's original grape which many of you in Virginia may already be familiar with. This episode is all about the Norton grape and how many in Virginia are trying to preserve its rich history. While it's hailed the state grape of Missouri, its origins can be traced to Richmond. I'm at the Virginia Fine Arts Museum where the Friends of Shaco Hill Cemetery are putting on a reception and dedicating a monument in honor of Dr. Norton. And I couldn't think of anyone better to talk with than Jenny McLeod, who is the owner of Chrysalis Vineyards. And she has fought valiantly to educate and to inspire others about the Norton grape. In fact, Chrysalis has the largest planting of Norton worldwide. Jenny, thanks so much for taking some time with us today. Well, thank you very much. You're kind for inviting me to share a chat with uh, your listeners. Oh, absolutely. It's so exciting to talk about the Norton grape. There's so much tradition, so much history there, and I know you're really trying to make it, to make people understand that this is the real American grape. And I want to go back to the beginning, if we can, just for a couple of minutes, to talk about the importance of the discovery of the Norton grape, especially at the time in history that Dr. Norton discovered this. You know, it's, um, it is fascinating. The whole story is fascinating. Um, going all the way back to um, the beginnings of Virginia um, where they were asked to plant 12 grapevines I think in one was that 1609 or 1612 in, in uh, uh, Williamsburg the original charter right yeah yes. the original charter um, all the way through Thomas Jefferson trying to grow grapes but they always failed mm -hmm. and I it, my take on it my my sort of trying to put myself back there at that period of time is that enough time had passed by with with the failures of Thomas Jefferson trying and Filippo Mazzai coming from Italy and then you had the revolution and yeah, that, some of the best and brightest. That Norton wanted to, to create a fine red table wine from native grapes, and uh, he did it. Which was incredibly challenging, to say the least, especially in his time. Uh, we were listening uh, to a few minutes ago, we heard uh, author Todd Kleiman from his book, The Wild Vine, which is all about the Norton grape, talking about during Norton's time and how difficult it was with you know not only disease pressures, but harsh winters and hot summers. And uh, we really had a hard time growing any vinifera here in Virginia, but Dr. Norton really paved the way. Well, he did, and you know, you have to remember that there was a lack of understanding that we now, in, in modern horticulture, take for granted about fungus and, and you know, root lice and other issues of growing, and so they were really pioneers. But it was a t period of time, too, where the amateurs like Norton were, were out there exploiting the new lands, not in the negative sense, but to create and beautify the country with new hybrids. And it, it was a period of 
exploration and exhilaration with our new country. And when you think of hybrids, especially back then, he was really ahead of his time. When you look at, uh, for the listeners that, that may not know, you know, most of what we drink in America, most of what we drink worldwide is from the vinifera species, roughly 95% is from Vitis vinifera. Um, but the, uh, the Norton grape comes from a hybrid of the Vitis aestivalis and the Vitis vinifera. Right. Um, and this was uh, Dr. Norton just kind of playing around behind the scenes trying to find this, this great table grape, right? Well, yeah, and there still is a little bit of confusion. We really don't know what Norton is. It is botanically classified as a native grape, hmm. but it is most likely as... Uh, Which means wild vines, right? Like a wild vine. That's it. That's it. But there, there's a lot of natural hybridization that goes on all the time because um, Vitis Estivalis or Estivalis or how you know, Vitis Estivalis. Mm -hmm. If you're the if if you're the purest Latin. If we right? have traditionalists and <laughs> teachers out there, right? <laughs> that's that's exactly right. We'll uh, cross with Vitis. Vinifera, Vetus riparia, you know, it goes on and on. Mm -hmm. Leif Erikson, you know, named America Vineland because we had so many different varieties. So you have all these naturally occurring hybrid crosses, and as um, you know, unless you are exceedingly careful to isolate the the pistil and the state, you know, the whole uh, sexual organs of the plant. Anything floating around in the environment can cross-pollinate, and we believe that's what happened. And that's certainly, uh, we could do a, a whole, if, if not a several series on the hybridization and pollination of grapes. Oh, it's, it is they, very there are people that have, you know, uh, created their careers out of that, Hedrick and Munson and those guys. Yeah, absolutely. And so when we're going back to Dr. Norian, he creates this grape, he sees success with it. It was something that uh, actually kind of saved his life. Will you share that story a little bit with our listeners? Yeah, you know, it's very unfortunate. Um, his wife died in childbirth with their first child, and, and it just really devastated him. And um, my take is, that, you know, he, he was friends with William Prince, and William Prince owned a nursery in Flushing, New York, uh, which is on Long Island. And it was just fortuitous that it was the William Prince catalog of 1830 that first presented the Norton plant commercially available. It was a period of time when there was a lot of European immigration coming, immigration, immigrant, whatever, um, coming in and they were coming through New York Harbor. Right. And interestingly, the um, uh, nursery there um, in Flushing not only propagated the Norton, but the Prince Nursery also received cuttings from Croatia at the time, which they called Zinfandel, mm -hmm. and the Zinfandel went to California, and the Norton went with the mostly uh, German immigrants into the Midwest, and that's how it really got a super foothold in Missouri. How fascinating is that? I never knew that background with the Zinfandel. I know that the original plantings, they believe, comes from Croatia. They right. thought maybe it was tied to Primitivo, but it's very interesting. It uh, kind of was commercially available the same time as Norton. And uh, somewhat later, many, many years many later, later, actually. So, right. um, which is sort of why, you know, we do insist that Norton is the real American grape because um, Zinfandel is not from America. That's fascinating. And when we talk about the success of Norton in its early years, it was commercially available in the 1830s. It was kind of hailed the Missouri, if you're not if you're listening and not aware, was really the kind of wine capital of the New World, was the wine capital of the United States. It and was huge. The yes, production in Missouri. The first AVA in the country. 
Stonehill Winery in 1890 was one of the largest wineries in the world, producing millions of gallons of wine. And uh, so it was getting, it was starting to get a good reputation in Missouri. It actually won a gold medal in the Vienna Fair in 1873, if I'm not wrong, on the date there. And um, it's, it's and others and as well. And many in others Paris, too. Uh, in fact, somebody um, it is written that it was acclaimed the best red wine of all nations at the 1873 Vienna Universal Exhibition. Um, so it, that is part of it. What fascinated me because. What the heck? What is this thing? I've never even heard of it. And here's a grape that was world-renowned, mm -hmm. gold medals in Paris and in 1892, um, you know, Vienna, um, fabulous. And it, it led me to think, well, wait a second. They can't be doing so much, so many things differently in how they vinify and make their wines. It must have been something to change that we were doing. To, to, and so I've been on a quest in experimenting every single year on how do we recover our knowledge of how to make this great American grape. And that is the perfect segue because I wanted to dive into what Chrysalis is doing and you know it was doing so great in the late 1800s and then obviously Prohibition kind of stopped everything in its tracks. Dennis Horton from Horton Vineyards was really the catalyst to bring uh, the grape back to Virginia in the late 80s and I know you've, uh, you've, you've worked with Dennis over the years and from what I understand, at least talking with you earlier, you said that you came to Virginia specifically to bring Norton back and you have the largest planting in the world of Norton. So talk a little bit about why you're so committed to preserving this grape and making it known and educating people on it. Um, I've been a collector of wines and an appreciator of wines for now I can say decades, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, when, I, but when I started, it maybe wasn't decades, it was maybe one and a half. But I, 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 I had collected wines, tasted wines, I had the wherewithal to enjoy good wines. And I happened to attend a conference, a grape uh, and viticultural conference in 1995, where I first tasted this grape. And I didn't know anything about it. So you hadn't even really heard of it before. At that I time. had never heard right. of Norton as a grape, um, and frankly, very few others had at that point. And it fascinated me because I had become a little bit. Um, there's a term called ABC, anything but Cabernet, <laughs> anything but Chardonnay, yes. and it wasn't. These are great grapes, and I continue to enjoy them to this day. But you want more. You want to be able to experiment. You want to be able to expand your 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 experience and and your connoisseurship. Not in a not in a snooty sense, but just to be able to understand more because it's so fascinating. So I tasted this grape. And what the heck is this stuff? It blew my mind. I'm like, wow, grapey, intense, different. Just what I was sort of looking for. Mm -hmm. Something different. And then when I find found out that it was native. And that it was not only a disease-resistant grape, but the most disease-resistant grape grown commercially for any kind of grape production in the world, whether it's for um, wine, of course, or table fruit or raisins. You look up the charts of all the varieties, it is the most disease-resistant. I thought, what, a, what an incredible story that is has been somewhat lost. It makes this really weird and and not in a negative sense, but out there and different. It ages into an incredibly rich and um, 
uh, Barolo type type red hours and I think that that probably is the key to it no matter how well we can make any other vinifera or European grape wine this is ours and why shouldn't we have a contribution or at least try to restore that renown that this grape had we knew it had in the 1800s as America's true contribution to the world of fine wines that makes so much sense when you think of especially how much history we have in Virginia and we created the grape here in Richmond and to be able to tout that and say hey we're, we're making some phenomenal from the phenomenal wine from the original American grape you know the French are so happy with what they're doing the Italians and etc cetera, etc cetera, right and to be able to say hey we're producing this amazing grape and I know you've really experimented over the years over the past 20 years with Norton you have a very interesting lineup. You have your Sarah's Patio Red, which is more of a sweeter style. Mm -hmm. And I think your vision was really uh, making this respectable, dry table red that a lot of people don't tend to think about when they think about Norton. Well, well, true. One of the interesting um, uh, characteristics of Norton is that it's incredibly versatile. I can make what is technically a true rosé, Sarah's Patio Red, although it's sort of, you know, a light red wine is technically a rosé, whole cluster press, no skin contact at all. So you get the characteristics of the floral, fruity, you know, um, white wine character, all the way to a, to an age-worthy, decades age-worthy, big, bold red wine. I'm like, wow, how cool is that? How long can a Norton age for? Um, I don't want to sound flippant. We're not sure. <laughs> I just attended a tasting that was um, focused on the ageability of Virginia wines and I brought a 2000, 2001 and 2002 Loxley Reserve, our flagship wine. That wine clearly has a decade or more. It was already 16 years old. These are, these, these are 30 year wines and maybe even more. Uh, it's just, just phenomenal. A little what, what vintage were you serving here at the um, ceremony tonight? For the well, we were serving a couple of, uh, of, of the, um, the, the Norton wines and um, uh, we have the Sarah's Patio Red. We, we have a wine. It's okay to say it. It's, yeah. it's, it's spelled differently, <laughs> folks. It's okay. We have, um, we have our Shits and Giggles. Spelt C. S-C-H-I-T-Z, so it's perfectly fine to say on air. Well, it's, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, if, if um, you were to perhaps, you know, read it, could be shites and giggles. Okay, there you go. Shits and giggles. Yes, you do. I appreciate that one. So. <laughs> we have the Estate Bottle Norton and then our flagship wine, Loxley Reserve Norton. And Loxley is a vineyard designation. Um, we just, um, I had a sip of it a little while ago. We were talking about it, and uh, it was just so rich, so... Uh, a, lot, a lot of red fruit on the nose, and what I really, uh, the, the nuances of the, the earthiness in there, almost that tar, kind of like, a, it was almost reminiscent of a Barolo with an earthy tar going on, mm -hmm. and then that beautiful floral note too, but this rich, vibrant, juicy, like lip-smacking wine, uh, and the tannins were very velvety on that. You could tell it had that ageability going on with it. Yeah, I'm not that, And I'm not that familiar personally with Norton, so. Um, you know, I, I'm, I wish I had the formula to tell you why this wine could last for 30 or 40 years, but its constituents are different. It is not European. So it has different chemical um, makeup. Its acids are different. Its tannins are different. 
And um, it's just a joy in the field to grow too. It's just, oh, it's raining. Yeah, so what, it's Norton. I mean, we don't even give it, 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 if it's not in the vineyard and some of it gets, seeds get, it's a weed. It's that prolific. What a great plant to be growing in Virginia. Well, I've got to say, when you hear every year, year after year between the spring, late spring frost, we've been having them lately a lot. We have all these disease pressures, the humidity, the rot, and to have something that you really kind of like, hey, let it grow, let it pick, and we're going to bottle something great. I mean, that's just a no-brainer for a winemaker, it seems, especially in climates like Virginia and New York and Absolutely. places like that. Uh, it also has, from what I understand, a very high concentration of anthocyanins. And when you think about, you know, if you're, if you're one of those that, you know, on this health kick out there, you get the blueberries that usually has one of the highest levels, but the Norton grape has more anthocyanins than I think just about any fruit out there. I'm not sure. I, can't, I couldn't make that statement, but I do know because I've seen the charts of the analysis. We've been asked to provide fruit for Texas A&M and other universities who are testing anthocyanins and antioxidants and resveratrol, mm -hmm. which is one of the good things. Right. And um, Norton's resveratrol is an order of magnitude 10 times that found in Cabernet Sauvignon. And that maybe wow. the vine releases these different chemical constituents within its system to fend off uh, fungus invasion or bacterial invasion. And you know those are probably related. The reason why Norton is so disease resistant is because it has so much resveratrol in its system and um, it just happens to be good for us. This is a weird thing to say, but you know when you do your blood test and you do your, your annual or biannual or every five year, <laughs> however you do, however <laughs> you do your uh, you know, physicals, my blood cholesterol is actually off the chart on the good side. It's not even on the chart on the wow. good to bad Cholesterol. And she's been drinking Norton for 20 years, folks. So I, maybe that's I something to it. I that know? to Norton. Okay. Much like the, the, those, those old ladies that live to 110 years <laughs> in Italy, well, in eating their and eggs Cannonale, and drinking like, their wine or whatever. Perhaps in Sardinia, drinking the Cannonale, the Grenache, right? So there you go. We have a similar story here in Virginia when we look at why Virginians are living longer. Uh, we're going to take a quick short break for our sponsor. You're listening to Crystal Palette's Wine Country on SIBO 107.5 and 1260 WCHV. Wine Studio. Understanding our world through wine and our part in that world. Wine Studio is a Twitter-based beverage education program produced by certified sommelier Tina Mori, who's worked in the food and wine industry for over 20 years. Wine Studio is grassroots marketing for beverage brands, regional organizations, PR firms, all who would like to reach millions each weekly session. Wine Studio also benefits tasting participants who meet winemakers, taste exciting wines, and become involved with beverage cultures from all over the world. Follow the Twitter hashtag, Wine Studio. That's hashtag, Wine Studio. Tuesdays, 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and join the conversation. For more information, visit winestudiotina.weebly.com.
Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for staying with us. We are at the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts in Richmond talking with Jenny McLeod from Chrysalis Vineyards. And we're celebrating the Norton Grape and the legacy and contributions of Dr. Daniel Norton this week. This week actually marks the 175th anniversary of Dr. Daniel Norton's death. And I know they are dedicating a very special monument in his honor at uh, a local cemetery here in Richmond. And the Friends of um, Shockhoe Hill Cemetery, uh, they're putting on the event this week. And uh, I know, you know, it's really important when we look at history. These monuments are important, right? Talk a little bit about why this is important for future generations. Thank you. The monument itself, uh, Dr. Norton, when you think about the um, loss of knowledge and the um, move, kind of moving into obscurity of, of, of Dr. Norton himself and his grave with prohibition happening, his, you can liken it also to his grave marker was one of those flat stones and over the years the the rain and you know the the acid in the rain has etched the grave marker where it's practically not readable so um really super credit needs to go to the friends of shaco hill cemetery which is a non-profit organization that helps the city of richmond who maintains this historic uh cemetery to go beyond and, and provide extra attention to detail, extra care. And one of their projects, in fact, as I've learned even today, their most significant project is the erection of a monument that preserves the inscription uh, for in perpetuity now uh, of what was on Dr. Norton's grave marker so that future um, generations can um, hear what was written about him and remember him. I made a comment to the president, um, Clayton Shepard, that today, you know, in 2017, Dr. Norton is an important personage in this cemetery, second only to Chief Justice John Marshall, who's also buried there. A lot of history there, and I think a lot of times, you know, volunteers, they don't really get the credit they deserve. They're doing a lot of stuff selflessly, valiantly behind the scenes to make sure that uh, we can uh, have this conversation, that we can talk about this, and that you can plant vineyards and learn, right? Absolutely. Um, so a big thank you to the friends of Shaco Hill Cemetery who are making this uh, possibility, and I know you're going to keep us updated on when they're actually going to unveil the monument. They're waiting to, the weather warms up a little bit, I believe. Yeah, you know, concrete and cold and sure. frozen ground. They just, and also we want to be able to have people come outside at the cemetery to enjoy the, um, you know, commemoration, the um, installation, and, and forgot the word for it. Um, dedication. 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 That's it. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, Jennifer, you know, you are spe you're actually celebrating your own anniversary, 20 years of winemaking in Virginia. You came here to grow Norton. You do a lot of other wonderful wines in your portfolio. You have a, a really outstanding Albarino that is the perfect summer wine, a quintessential with those uh, Chesapeake Bay oysters, I must say. Uh, what's, uh, what's next for you? Well, we will continue to, you know, experiment with Norton and improve the Norton and, and, and as well as our other varieties. But um, we, we have a large farming operation in Loudoun County called the Ag District, where we will soon be producing artisan cheeses, artisan breads, and trying to, again, show that, that rural Virginia land can become a shining example of successful rural enterprise. 
Well, that's exciting. I can't wait to come visit. Definitely make a trip up to Middleburg soon. And speaking of the Ag District, tell us where we can find you. Tell us your website, where your location is, and your tasting room hours. Okay, super. So, uh, chrysaliswine.com. But, you know, the gals in the tasting room will tell me, just go to Facebook and type in Chrysalis Vineyard. So, you you'll know, find it. Yeah, they'll, <laughs> they'll find it. So we're on John Mosby Highway, U.S. Highway 50, uh, just west of Aldi okay. and um, uh, in the southern part of Loudoun County. And are you open daily? We are open every day of the week except for Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. All right. Well, Jennifer, I really appreciate you spending time with us today. It was so great to meet you and to talk about Norton. And, uh, you know, if you've had Norton in the past and you thought it was a little too fruity, there are so many styles out there that you really should give it another try. And uh, head up to Chrysalis, and I'm sure Jenny will show you around and uh, give you uh, some great samplings of some of her uh, really delicious Norton. So I hope you'll revisit that. Thanks so much uh, for joining us this week on Crystal Palette's Wine Country. Next week, Brad Hansen with Prince Michel is joining me to talk about an ancient tradition, tradition making its way back into the modern-day wine scene. It is all about pet nat on the next edition of Crystal Palette's Wine Country. A special thank you to our sponsor, Wine Studio, for supporting our endeavors of wine education. You can join the Wine Studio conversation on German wines this week at Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Twitter using hashtag Wine Studio. In the meantime, head over to crystalpalette.com to catch up on all my past episodes of Virginia Wine and so much more. Here's to a fabulous weekend filled with great wine and uh, great friends and family. Cheers.